But I, I think that's part of our, you know, our epidemic as humans. <laughs> We're just pushing, pushing all the time. And from the standpoint of someone that used to be like that, it's harmful. It's harmful. We're, we're doing ourselves a disservice when we aren't willing to pause and listen to what the true signals are from the inside out. Hi, I'm Nita. Welcome to Ask Me About Yoga Therapy, where we explore the profession of yoga therapy, one practitioner at a time. In this episode, Sonia and I talk about two pretty big things, her yoga nidra work and her experience of the visual world, so we take a little more time. Sonia's eyesight started changing at age 23, gradually reducing to only 8% peripheral. Yet her vision for yoga and the restorative potential of nidra has broadened. She applies the basics of yoga philosophy to curate conscious rest for individual needs. You can learn more about her at yogagently.com and find out how to train with her at optimalnidra.com and amywheeler.com. Let's go. Yoga therapy is relationship. Oh, and let's hold that. Okay. Yoga therapy is relationship. Yes. It gives me the chills. And I did. I wish everyone could see your rubbing your arms right now. <laughs> now tell me your expanded version, please. So the more lengthy version would be that yoga therapy is the discovery of the relationship of having an empowered life by mm. utilizing what yoga therapy offers as far as this the tools, the ancient wisdom, and all of that mm -hmm. wrapped in. Nidra is all over culture right now. It's very exciting and I'm that you do this, um, this yoga nidra, and I'm hoping you can tell me about what it is and how it's distinct from the nidra that seems to be having this big cultural moment. Yeah, I'm fascinated, first of all, by the, the new yoga nidra moment <laughs> right because i feel like ooh, there's been there's a shift there's been a huge shift i think in within our culture around what is even yoga and and i feel like now yeah. from a social and cultural standpoint there is finally finally a shift in awareness of what yoga really is because in the western translation i can only speak from my experience as a westerner <laughs> in this western translation that it got distilled down so far to only that one piece which is asana and not all the other vital aspects of what yoga really is which are if you consider the eight limbs of yoga Asana is the tiniest little piece. And even in Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, this main text that we use, it was one of the first texts that when I did my 200-hour teacher training way back when, too long ago to even talk about, <laughs> that, that that text is part of what, if you've done yoga, you are exposed to on some level. 
but only three of those sutra, of those verses that are in that 195 or 196, depending on who you're speaking with, talk about asana, only three. <laughs> on the one hand, I'm, I'm well, on the majority hand, I guess. So I'm delighted <laughs> that yoga nidra is becoming part of, well, it's becoming a more popular term and yes. that people are seeking it out. Your practice of it is a little more specialized. Can you describe what that is versus what people might be Googling or getting from their latest magazine issue? What are some of the yes. other considerations that the subtlety that you're putting in that people might want to yes. seek out when they're doing their Google search, I guess? Well, this is, yes, thank you so much for that. And it's termed optimal nidra. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the reason it's termed that is that it's woven into optimal state and the idea of viewing things from a lens of assessment. And in order to have the ability to be quiet and still enough, to go inward, to go through those other phases of being quiet enough to lie in a guided meditation of yoga nidra, there, there needs to be a respect of what might be appropriate for each person. Wow. Yeah. When I hear you speak of yoga nidra, I really... I'm hearing that you practice it in a very curated way for individuals. Mm -hmm. And so it's not optimal because of there's a singular place of perfection, but there's something that's optimal for each individual. And I'm also hearing that you see it as a gift from taking people from being a human being or human doing into being a human being. Is, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, that, I mean, I, again, you're so brilliant at mirroring back <laughs> me yes i i just try to ca catch up so, with you <laughs> so understood and and uh yeah is that a place where it's even more important to have curated care do you think absolutely because look it's not a cookie cutter experience not everyone can settle in and get comfortable and find their little space to go along the along for the ride it is not a lot of people are going to want to do that. <laughs> mm. And it's not something, and this is why I've taken on this little mission, because it's not something that really can be given to anyone on the first meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to assign a yoga nidra practice the very first time I meet somebody. No way. Now I have to build trust and the rapport with the person and, and create what we talked about before, that, that experience of co-negotiating, what is working, what are their goals, what are they, that, what is it that they don't even know? And then how does it unfold with, with that initial door of, can we get them to first be aware of their breath. Can we get them to be in a place where they can link their breath with their movements? Are they able to layer in that mind body breath experience where maybe they can 
initially create a mantra that goes with that or and maybe they don't want a Sanskrit mantra maybe they are uncomfortable with that you know so there's all these different layers and when you talk about that Panchamaya system of yes you have to enter in a lot of times through the Anamaya layer because that is the most immediate you know it's our our most tangible experience mm-hmm. and maybe someone also has had experiences where they they have been disassociated and depersonalized their physical body so going into a realm of hey i'm going to give you a meditation try this and that's not gonna they won't be receptive to that at all mm-hmm. it's important to help them down regulate and find their interoceptive awareness and be in a place where they can be receptive enough. And I've had the exact opposite. We're like, I don't want to move. I want to, I want to meditate. And so that's a different approach, Mm -hmm. but you go into, and look, because of the pandemic, I have not been in person in a yoga studio in several years because of that. But I've been, I did have, I think we mentioned, I mentioned this, I did have an outdoor setting where we did Mm -hmm. a a little yoga retreat outside and we had some time where we were able to pause and listen. And then I gave the option for some to stay and go a little bit deeper, but it was not a yoga nidra per se, you know, those, all the steps that might take somebody into deeply resting and shifting into, you know, some deeper brain waves <laughs> of. Yeah. And that's, of- that's important you say that because I do think that because it's a goal oriented culture, that sometimes there's this pressure that you've got to go in deep and you've got to go in. And there's lots of good reasons why people don't, it's not a good time. It's not a safe time. They maybe have a habit of not doing it. And it really sounds like through yoga therapy, something that's curated that we can, instead of say, oh, you're not adulting well enough to do this. It's more, no, let's look at why it's useful for you to not have done this before and then find something that is maybe a safer door in or a gentle way in that doesn't completely demolish all of the useful habits you have in your life that have helped you come this far. Exactly, yes. And to have respect for those habits that got them to the place that they are, Mm -hmm. right? And to not have shame or um, self-criticism around whatever that concept is, you know, to, to be able to be in a place of pure acceptance. And sometimes that takes time to, to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I have bad feminist days still. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And I call up a colleague. I'm like, oh, can you please be the person to say that's ridiculous? I need to hear that. Or my yes. partner. It's funny. Yes. Uh, well, we need I'm... support like that too. Uh-huh. I mean, it's so important, especially as a caregiver, to to have those outlets as well. Mm-hmm. So I commend you for, for doing that. <laughs> I know. I'm still telling myself. It's a win that I noticed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I know that you have guided me that the term I can use is visually impaired or partially sighted. However, I 
really want to name this as something almost along the lines of site liberated, specifically because we are going to be talking about how you are able to curate care for other people without relying solely on your eyes, the way many practitioners, uh, including myself, really rely on primarily. What are your thoughts around that when I first rename it that way? Because it's quite an extraordinary thing how you can cue and sense into your clients without relying as heavily yes. on sight. Uh, I love how you're phrasing all that. Okay, first, related to site liberation, I think that's amazing. I love that terminology. I also think of it as beyond sight. Ah. Where I am utilizing every sense on all levels of my human system <laughs> and in relationship to whoever I'm with. And sometimes it gets quite confusing in or because even though I have less vision than most, I do have more vision than many. <laughs> um, uh -huh. I'm kind of caught in that in-between world. And so I still utilize what usable side I do have. And it's peripheral. So what we know about the, the general um, perspective of when you're looking straight ahead as opposed to looking from the peripheral, there's a lot less detail mm -hmm. you know, out in the peripheral field. Mm -hmm. And in that, it gives a kind of that bigger sense too. So it's more like the broad picture as opposed to the, you know, mm -hmm. more magnified focal point. Um, and I think within context of being with a particular person, depending on what they're, what care they are seeking, um, we, we figure it out together how it works for both of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so not all, I mean, I think all yoga therapy is co-negotiation, but there's just that added layer that I bring in because it's important that a person that I'm with understands, although I may not be making eye contact with you, the contact I'm making is, you know, bigger. And I've had you know, clients or, or students be offended that I wasn't making eye contact with them <laughs> until I actually mm -hmm. had to explain the reason that it seems like I'm looking down at your neck and not at your eyes is because that's how I'm using, you know, that's how I can see you. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, she was quite uh, humbled by that. And, and even after class talked to me about the fact that the way I explained it was incredibly helpful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can we speak about the beyond sight piece? Because in my imagination, the attentiveness to more than what's within our visual sight um, is sometimes is what I think should be a part of yoga therapy and is easy to not attend to just given the bias of our language. It's observation. It's what do you see are the shortcuts for what should be a multi-sensory potential experience. So 
can you name the way you intentionally um, consider the beyond sight components of your practice in the hopes that someone like me can be further enlightened on what I may or may not be doing? I love that. I mean, first of all, thank you for even acknowledging and wanting to understand that. I think that is such a gift that you're giving me in this moment. Hmm. Uh, I, I think because oftentimes it's not viewed, you know, it, in, in the way you're holding it right now, it's viewed as what yoga therapy is of the whole person. And sometimes in situations where someone finds out, oh, you can't see, well, if you can't see, how can you do blah, 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 blah. In context with how it happens, that is dependent on the moment, I think, mm -hmm. uh, dependent on the person, um, but it's utilizing sound and beyond you know the sensory field okay you have the the matter of touch but also if you close your eyes and you sense what's around you you can also sense objects mm -hmm. and you there might even be a sense of energetic input mm -hmm. whether it's from a pet or a light mm -hmm. or the buzzing of uh you know an electrical device i mean all of those things are in our realm of experience that if we pause and listen from a place of clarity mm -hmm. things will be revealed mm -hmm. post-covid there's a stronger Zoom landscape. And I recall you're mentioning that your, I think all of your practice during COVID was over Zoom. It may still be because you found it created a certain type of accessibility that was easier for clients and you not having to transport yourself to different locations. And Zoom seems particularly visual in many ways because things like feeling into a room, I've been surprised how it can happen but are there barriers to that? What have you noticed? Uh, well, <laughs> Zoom and me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's that, uh, talk about relationship. <laughs> it's a conflicted <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, I do miss being in person. I really do. And the fulfillment that's there in relationship when person to person is much more well-rounded, I feel like, and I would never be able to connect with you otherwise with Zoom. So there are pluses and there are minuses. The minuses that I've experienced is extreme anxiety and a lot of headaches and um, real frustration. When we think of, you know, the balance of <laughs> Rajas, <laughs> Um, so is the headaches and anxiety for the clients or for you or both? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Mostly my own personal experience is it's mm -hmm. very challenging. 
and I'm in the process of getting more and more training around it. The anxiety is really the the management of the technology mm-hmm. for me. That that creates so much discomfort. <laughs> like even to get okay, I got the link, and then finding the link and being able to click on it mm-hmm. and the minutia of what it is when you don't use sight, when you listen and there's a moment of panic where I'm like, oh wait, what is that passcode again? So I appreciated not even having, you know, it was just click and you let me in. And that, even that small step that someone can look it up and type it in and and not think that that is Mm -hmm. an issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my pitta way of being is like, wait a second, I gotta get in there. I want to be on time. And and then I have to step back and pause and center myself and then attempt it. (laughs) And let's be clear, technology is surprisingly whimsical when you don't want it to be. So it's not always a question of you not following instructions or it not being set up. Sometimes there's just a system crash or I, I, I think, how, how is the software so emotional? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh-huh. Or fickle maybe is a better word. I don't know. Are you staying on Zoom for the most part or switching back? And what is that like? Yeah. You just want to hug yeah, everyone? Been, I, <laughs> I, yeah, it's so hard. I mean, first of all, I've been asked to come back into public on many, in many arenas and many different areas and, I am not ready to do that. And I explained to you before what I noticed in my own nervous system when I was working with everyone in the format, either with Zoom or phone, because I wasn't traipsing around all of town and, and also the reliance. I mean, I ask for a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And so surrender, you know, it's a surrender, right? To have to get somebody to take me and to, negotiate all that, whether it's, I take a lift or I have a driver or, you know, a student is going to maybe in exchange for this particular class, take me things like that. I mean, it gets very complicated and especially in a student to yoga therapist relationship, you know, that's not one that I often like to rely on. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I, the, the simplicity of staying put is a little easier and I miss it. I did have a, um, an outdoor event that I went to and facilitated a, a, like a mini yoga retreat. And it was so amazing. It was fulfilling and everybody that attended got so much out of it that that mm-hmm. piece pulls on my heart that I would like to do more like that. And I'm very, oh, your hands are at your heart while you're saying that. Yeah. And you know, I really, um, am being very selective about Mm -hmm. it. It has to resonate. I will meditate on it before I say yes to anything now, Hmm. whether it's a new person to work with one-on-one or it's an event that I've been invited to attend or, you know, anything like that. 
As always, thanks for joining. Until next time, Shanti, bye.